You're listening to Michael Easley in Context. And now your host, Dr. Michael Easley. Welcome to In Context. If you're new to the broadcast, we're glad you're here. I encourage you to check out some of our best of episodes on the website. The goal of In Context is to help men and women grow in God's Word in the context as it applies to our lives. Well, this month we've been talking about strong marriages, how to build a strong marriage, and today I'm thrilled to have Gary Thomas on the broadcast. Gary, thanks for being here. Well, thank you for having me. A best-selling author, international speaker, you've written 20-plus books and counting. Uh, One of the bestsellers, Sacred Marriage, is a book Cindy and I have used over the years. His writings have established him as a thought leader in the area of marriage, parenting, and spiritual formation. Gary is an avid runner and trying to figure out how to run in Houston humidity. Okay. (laughs) You've done three Boston marathons? I have. Why? (laughs) That's the one marathon that lives up to the billing. I've done some. I said, why am I doing that? But the Boston weekend is phenomenal. I, I loved it. I loved them. They were worth working to get there. Well, beyond being an avid runner, he is married. You have three grown children. You do live in Houston, Texas area, and you are a writer in residence at Second Baptist Church. Again, thanks for being here. Let, let's start with sacred marriage. Um, w- when you wrote the byline, did you have any idea that thing would, in, in today's terms, go viral? I think it was, in one sense, my limitations that led to that book's success, because I'm not a therapist, I'm not a counselor. I'm not a psychologist, and I really couldn't write another how-to book on marriage that could compete with others that had just much better stuff and better stories and, and, and better credentials. But what I hadn't seen addressed at that point was really the spiritual formation aspect of marriage, how it was turning me into a different person if I would let it. And, and accepting that instead of resenting it hmm. helped me look at marriage in a whole new light. So many marriages, are they're just... They're complicated. They're stuck. They're struggling. And to reframe it going, this isn't about you being happy. It's about you being holy. It's about you being more like Christ. Uh, what a novel idea. Well, I've, I've seen this quote I'm about to give attributed to five or six different people. I don't really know who said it. But it was, if you know the why, you can figure out the how. You can endure the how. And that's really, I think, what sacred marriage did. Is One, I think it was more honest. I think too many books at that time, perhaps for evangelistic purposes, would apply these five principles, understand these truths of Scripture, and your marriage will be easy. I said, no, the, the best of marriages are going to be difficult, but God uses difficult things for a really good purpose. And once I could understand the purpose behind the difficulty of marriage, then all of a sudden I could understand, wow, well, now I respect it and, and appreciate it. We We talked about running, and it's just sort of like if you— don't have a race ahead, if you don't have a goal of physical fitness, you could look at the pain and say, why? Mm -hmm. What's the point of making myself hurt? I just want off this treadmill. I'm going to put these weights down. But if you have a bigger end in mind, you willingly make yourself hurt. You go to a gym, you pay money (laughs) to make yourself hurt because you're thinking, "I I can be a different person. I can be faster. I can be stronger. I can be healthier. I can be fitter. And if we looked at marriage that way, I can be a different person. I can be more loving. I can learn to respond with gentleness. I can be less arrogant. I I can be humbler. Then all of a sudden, what used to frustrate us about marriage so much, we can actually appreciate. We may not enjoy, but I think at least we can appreciate and respect. 
you know, you, you allude to the idea of happy and holy. Is it unrealistic to work that you can have both those in a marriage? No. In fact, one of the things I really appreciate is just about a year or so ago, I was able to rewrite, not rewrite, update is probably a better word, um, sacred marriage, so that I could address some of the questions that people raise, make a few things clearer. And one of the things I, I really stress is that that's a false dichotomy. Since sacred marriage came out, I saw the blog post, is marriage designed for happiness or holiness? And of course, they put me on this side or that side. And I never engaged in these debates, but it was almost amusing to see him from afar. But I, I take the approach that John Wesley took when he said, no one's truly happy who's not pursuing holy. Mm. And I thought that was such a brilliant comment, because I, if you look at an addict, they have moments of pleasure, but they are miserable. If you look at a guy who hasn't controlled his anger, he's pushing everybody away. He's not really happy. Or a woman that is just in the control and the grips of materialism or negativity, she can never be pleased. In fact, holiness preserves our happiness individually and with relationships. So the, the key is that by pursuing holiness and valuing holiness, we become happier. It's just that when we're pursuing happier first, we end up losing both. We've lost that pursuit of holiness and sanctification, and we've often made it negative. That's what, that's what really grieves me, because the reality is that holiness is freedom. Holiness is joy. Mm. Holiness leads to peace. What people don't understand is that joy and peace and happiness are hidden behind goodness, and if we don't pursue goodness, we make ourselves miserable. We have estranged relationships. And you know what? Marriages are the first sign of that destruction. And so I hate it when people look at holiness as an obligation or a burden. I, I think it's just the opposite. It, it almost scares me when people go there because, look, I don't want to be an angry man. I don't want to be a selfish man. I don't want to be an arrogant man. Holiness just says, you don't have to let those things control you. You can let the Spirit of Christ direct you. Look, marriage and parenting are just different when holiness is set up at the forefront. Great definition of holiness. Let's expand on that a little bit. When I talk about holiness, I agree with you to set a higher standard of holiness is the objective and helping them understand this isn't a bad thing. I often say sin is an illegitimate means to a legitimate end that you can find really good stuff, but sin shortcuts it, and sin will never deliver or satisfy. In, in the same vein, I think I hear you saying holiness is that way. How do we help, uh, and not to bash millennials, how do we help them grasp this concept? I think they just need a clear understanding of what holiness is. And I think if their heart is right before the Lord, they'll pine after it. They'll pant after it. They'll thirst for it. The problem is that they've heard holiness defined as human rules of don't do this and, and do that. And it's not about, look, I'm not questioning, show me your recorded list on your DVR. Here's a list of words you can't say, or I'm not going to get lost in endless discussions about what you can drink or can't drink or whatnot. It really is more about Christ-likeness, things like humility, things like service, things like unselfishness that define what holiness really is. And I think when people see that, that ultimately the mature Christian is defined by their love. And Jesus says, that's how people know you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. And a lack of holiness is where you fail to love. And that's what brings misery. That's what brings unease in our life, because we're afraid we'll be found out or we'll be caught. 
this notion of since I have my salvation, what does it matter? I shouldn't even think about sanctification or right. holiness. The lack of holiness is is born. The burden of that is borne by my wife and kids more than anyone else. Yeah, I might be forgiven if I'm an angry man, but my wife has to put up with that every day. My kids will be wounded by that. Holiness isn't have anything to do with my salvation. That has to do with the finished work of Jesus Christ. But if I want to have an intimate marriage, if I want to have solid friendships, if I want to have life-giving influence with those that I work around and minister to, holiness really does matter. Otherwise, I'm just spewing my poison on everyone else. Howard Hendricks, uh, dear professor, now with the Lord, uh, privileged to know him for 30-plus years. When people would ask him, he would say, holiness is a relationship, not a religion. And uh, it was always a a good clarifier for me. It's not the do's and don'ts. All the, the do's and don'ts tell us something, but it's a relationship with, with the person of God, not just simply a do and don't religious system. Ephesians 5, we, you and I have probably worn this out teaching people this passage over the years, but husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. How does a husband's life affect his wife being holy? I would also say, how does the wife help the husband be more holy? Although I know that's right, right, right. I'm, 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 I'm nailing you on this verse. <laughs> uh, here's the thing. The other part of holiness I didn't mention is that when you look at Scripture, most of holiness in the New Testament, not, I don't want to say most, but I'd say a good half, is learning to treat people who are sinning in a mature way. When it says be patient, be encouraging, be understanding, uh, don't seek revenge, Basically, holiness is defined by how we treat the lack of holiness in others. And so what you're saying in Ephesians 5 is really key to that. My maturity before Christ will be seen by how I treat the immaturity of others. If I act like it doesn't affect me, if I act like I'm upset because of how it impacts me or inconveniences me, instead, when you look at Jesus, he would call people out, but he was always focused on what it meant for the state of their soul. Where are you at with the Lord? How is this impacting your heart? Where we get in trouble in marriage is that the issues become about how this inconveniences me. Mm. But, but what I'm doing then is I'm fighting her sin with my pride. How arrogant of me to think you should change because what you're doing inconveniences me instead of, you know what, I think you're robbing yourself of the peace and joy in Christ by letting fear, by letting anger, by letting anxiety, whatever it is, direct how you're thinking. Look at what, and and so it's really about trying to present them in a way that what you said before, you're focusing on things that's a substitute for what God offers in a fuller, more perfect form. And and so it's just kind of calling them to Christ, not because this makes life better for me. I, you know, I warned (laughs) in one of my books, I don't know which one, I think it's Sacred Influence, where I warn wise, they say, I want a God to your husband. Have you read the biographies of some godly husbands? Because they're godly. You know, God using them could put a huge burden on the wife, releasing them for ministry, them being attacked and whatnot. So sometimes I say, I want to say to the wives, be careful what you pray for, right. because it's not it's not all sweetness and light when a man is set on serving God. You never pray for patience, right? 
Okay, you've got an e-book that folks can download for free. Every good marriage begins with a funeral. And you write about when your spouse annoys you, you boil it down to a pride issue? It, it's kind of what I just said, mm-hmm. that sometimes the problem is that I'm letting myself be annoyed. I do think it's a bit of arrogance. Where this kind of happened is that my wife is very much an extrovert. I'm the introvert. That's very common. And she hasn't seen something until everybody else in the car sees it. She always uses this thing where she just click her fingernails against the window, and it just it just got a little irritating and whatnot. So she's, she's actually pretty good at telling me things that, that irritate her, and I'll try to dress. I thought, well, this is one time I'll try to do it. And I just said, and she goes, really? That bothers you? I go, yeah. Kind of, she goes, okay. Well, it, it never stopped. I mean, this has been a lifelong habit. You know, and our, our daughter was much younger at the time, and she was in the car, and my wife did, and she goes, Daddy, did, didn't you say that that annoyed you? I Ooh. Said, yeah. And she goes, and Mom still does it? I said, yeah. And she goes, why not you bring it up again? I said, I just decided it's not worth letting it annoy me anymore. She goes, I think you're a very tolerant person. <laughs> and, and knowing her now as an adult, it would be hard for her to move on. But But part of me thinks... Why should I ask somebody to change just because what they're doing inconveniences me? Now, now wait. If we apply that, every woman in the world should let the toilet seat stay up. Well, <laughs> but see, I'm looking at it from my end. The fact is I put it down because it's better <laughs> for my wife. And it's – look, it's this might sound so out there, Michael, and people might not believe it. I'm just asking people to try this. Because, look, I've fought this. I've been married for 31 years, and I've fought this for probably 30 and a half years of my marriage. When you get your fulfillment from being the kind of person that you think God has called you to be, rather than trying to turn your spouse into the person you want them to be, marriage changes. Mm-hmm. I think it becomes more pleasant. I think it becomes happier. When I get my fulfillment saying, look, I wouldn't want my wife to have to deal with that. I'm going gonna, uh, gonna to deal with this. And so that's just, I'm just focused far more on what I can change than on how I can change mm, good. her. Yeah, we, we often say, be the man, the husband, the father God wants you to be, and leave the rest to him, right? Um, yeah. You mentioned a study by Dr. John Gottman, a marriage expert from the University of Washington, who pointed out that 69% of conflicts in marriage will never be resolved. It's kind of depressing, Gary. That's why I go back to deciding not to let myself get annoyed about things. The problem isn't often what annoys me. The problem is that I let myself get annoyed. The thought that I think I could live with another human being who doesn't do anything that irritates me, that doesn't do anything that bothers me, one, I think it's delusional, and two, I just think it's, it, it's, it's very arrogant. And to realize that, you know what, we don't always know who we're marrying. And some of those things... They're just not going to be resolved. And so we have to learn how to love them and appreciate them and build them up in spite of those things. Where, where are we dying to self and saying, okay, the fingernails on the window annoy me or the way you, um, oh, you, know, you eat your food and you don't close your mouth completely, whatever. Every married couple's got them. Where, where's the dying to self part of that? And where is an expectation that says, hey, um, you know, honey, this, this really does drive me crazy. I know it's selfish for me to ask. Can we talk about it? Or is that out of line? No, I don't think it's ever out of line to ask. Uh, I think it becomes a problem when you demand. Like I said, I asked about the fingernails. I don't think I needed to repent about asking about the fingernails. If I realize 
you know what? She's just not going to change. Something's not going to happen. I listen to two podcasts on a regular basis that I know Lisa wouldn't really choose either one. One's political, one's sports. She specifically, especially doesn't like the sports one. But I asked one time, you know, is it bothering you? And I'm showering or whatnot. I'm listening to this. She goes, no, because hearing them reminds me that you're home. Mm. And what she's saying is I'm looking at the presence behind the problem. Mm -hmm. And I realized that your presence means there's <laughs> that there are going to be issues I don't like. And boy, I was, I was hit by this when I listened to Barbara Walters on the year anniversary of 9-11 interview widows. And um, she asked, what, what has changed most in your life? It's been a year, obviously. They'd lived without their husband. And one woman said, Barbara, I just can't stand it when I hear wives complain about their husband. And another wife cut in and said, it would make my day. Nothing would make me happier if I walked into the master bathroom and saw the toilet seat left up. Mm. And it was really like we realized that that was the price of, of having our husband home. But now that he's gone, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll put up with those little things because they're looking at the presence behind the problem. And I think that does change how we deal with those issues. We've been talking with Gary Thomas, author of Sacred Marriage, perhaps his best known book, 20 plus other titles and counting, a new book coming out soon. Gary, thanks for your time. Thanks for being on the program. Thank you for having me. Blessings. Okay, bye-bye. Now, I don't know what your response is when you hear the word holy, whether it brings up the idea of legalism or it's something foreign to you, but I think Gary gave us some good insight to think on. Are you pursuing Christ? Is your relationship with him molding you, transforming you to look more like Christ and less like your sinful self? Holiness is a relationship with the person of Jesus Christ and the work his Holy Spirit does in our lives. Holiness is a relationship, not a religion. This is Michael Easley. If you're not aware, we're on Michael Easley in Context on iTunes. You can listen on SoundCloud on your computer or your device, and you can find out much more about us at the website, Michael in Context. Check us out. Let us know. Drop us an email. We'd love to hear from you. And whatever you do, keep it in context. If you listen to our podcast on iTunes, would you take a minute to rate and review our show? We love reading your feedback, and this helps the show become more discoverable for other listeners. Thanks again for listening.